This is James chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother in his exalt. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass; its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then... When desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I ask that Your Word go forth now in a mighty way, that Your work would be done and it would not return void. I ask this, Heavenly Father, no matter the words in the mouth, meditation in my heart, but may they be acceptable in Thy sight, O Lord God. Amen. You may be seated. I want to share with you something you, you may not have heard me talk about very much, and, and, and I'm not sure if it's something that you may already understand, but most people when they hear about it go, I've never heard it put like that. And I've not shared this with you, but it's something that I think you will appreciate, and that is that from the beginning of creation all the way to the end, God has a design and a plan and an economy in mind. And by economy, I mean the way things work. The way things are supposed to happen. No matter what anybody does, God's economy will triumph over that. So, where there's evil, good of God will overcome it eventually and one day. Now, the economy that God bases things on is very clear. It's the economy of love. Love is the currency in God's economy. It is sourced by God, through God, from God, and in no other way can it happen because God set it up that way. It's His design. When He set it up, He also set up that we, being people, would not be God. That we would have a period of time on earth where we would grow, age, and pass away. And that is the plan. Ever since Adam ate of the tree and Eve 
we now have the part where we pass away added into it. He had established a kingdom that would be eternal, but when sin entered, sin could not reign forever. That was the problem. And God sent His only Son to restore the economy that was destroyed by sin. To put love back in the forefront. Now here's the problem. And this is where we get um, some things in our minds a little askew. And when we get into chapter 2 of James, you're going to see some things where James begins to put this back straight for us. In our minds, what we see is the Jewish understanding of who God is through the law, through their culture, through their history, through their festivals, through the way they saw the world, the way the world treated them. And all of that caused them to interpret and understand the Scriptures from that mindset. That mindset is not necessarily 100% the economy God set up. Because theirs was the economy of law. And you'll see throughout the New Testament where it talks about law versus Grace. The law of sin and death versus the law of grace, right? Well, that's kind of the insight into that, but folks miss this. And what happens is when you have this idea about law and this as being something that is how the world is run, you begin to see things differently than when God set up. The law sees things as right or wrong. And that's the basis. It's either good or it's bad. You either fit in or you don't fit in. In the economy of love, it's all based on loving one another. Not this is right, this is wrong, but rather love one another and fulfill the law of God, which is to love. Now, maybe you go, that makes that sounds too simple. Well, it is not simple when the economy of right and wrong is in your mind and you've been raised that way since you were born. And in society, it's been that way since uh, several thousand years ago. And so, our task as we listen to James and what he says today is to hear him correctly in the context of God's desire and design. You see, law and sin brought a sickness to the human race. A sickness. And it's a fatal disease. Once you sin, the result is more sin. And the result of sin and more sin is death. We know this. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. For those in Christ who love Him and belong to Him. Right? Eternal life is Jesus Christ. Sin and death is not Jesus Christ. Now, we we know that. But we don't put this into our minds when we begin to read the Scripture. We start setting that aside and start looking at it through these tunnel vision. And this morning, as we look at these verses, I want you to hear this from God's economy. Not the way it sounds. Because the way it sounds and God's economy are not the same. And when, when you hear this, I think you'll appreciate that. Now, the first few verses in 9, 10, and 11 talk about treasure. Treasure. Now, you're going to hear it in here as rich and wealth, but it is actually what you value, what you treasure compared 
into the world's economy versus God's. Now listen, here he's going to talk about there's the poor and the rich. That is world economy. The poor in God's economy have a higher place than the wealthy. Did you know that? This is not how society back then saw it. And it's not how society most of the time sees it today. Why? Because what do they say? The golden rule, askewed, if you will, is he who has the gold makes the rules. Have money, have power, right? That is the world's economy. They often say, well, they're wealthy, they'll get out of that in court. Whereas someone who doesn't is at the mercy of the justice system. So you begin to see the economy of the world is very clear to us. We understand how this place works. But when it comes to learning how God's economy works, no one has shown us that. No one's really made that clear. And today I'm going to take a little bit of the veil off for you. That's why in the notes in the bulletin I said, you'll want to take notes on this for future reference because it will help you beyond today if you do. Amen? Amen. Amen. You want this to last more than just a moment, right? Right. God's Word will do what it's supposed to do. Now here's what it says in verse 9. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Now, what's the lowly brother? He's talking about world's economy, the poor man. Let the poor man, by worldly standards, rejoice in their high position in God's kingdom. Why? Because the poor is considered equal with Jesus in God's kingdom. So rejoice that in God's kingdom, you're one and the same with Jesus. You rule and reign with Him. That is, for a lot of us, a big step up from where we were. Now, here's what's funny though. And I've got to share this with you. When you think about that, that if you belong to Jesus, you are one with Him in the kingdom of God. Now, here's the mindset that we have when we don't think about that. Well, you know, other people make the decisions. They run it. Politicians and etc. But in the kingdom of God, you do. And if you don't learn how to begin to be... Uh, wise with the things of this world, how are you going to be able to rule and reign in the next one if you don't start learning now? When will you learn it? Your status in the kingdom of God is what should be driving your life right now. I'll say that again because you didn't want to hear it. Your status in the kingdom of God should be driving your life right now. Not in the future. Not in the pie in the sky. By and by one day I'll fly away. But now you belong to Jesus and your status with Him says you are one in Jesus Christ with the Heavenly Father and your life should reflect that. Now you say, but, but I don't have that exaltation here. In God's eyes, you do. So whose economy are you going to listen to? What your mind tells you or what God's telling you? Your identity in Jesus Christ as you have, according to Ephesians chapter 2, been raised with Jesus and sit in heavenly places with Him right now. Oh, no, no, I'm sitting in a pew. <laughs> I'm sitting in a chair at church. You are missing the point if you're black and white like that. Amen. The point is, you are raised up in Jesus Christ and this is where God sees you. Do not de-elevate yourself. 
God's power is true and His Word is faithful. I'm thankful for that. So it says, let the person who's low in this world's standards, poor by this world's standards, glory in the fact that he belongs with Jesus. Not that this world sees that, but that God does. Because our glory is in God. But then he doesn't stop there, of course. He says, and the person who's wealthy in the world's eyes should not celebrate their earthly gain. That is not healthy. Why? Because earthly gain will one day be stripped away. You won't take it with you in a U-Haul. You might take it to North Carolina, but you won't take it to heaven. (laughs) There won't be a luggage rack on your hearse. No, there won't be. I'm sorry to disappoint you if you thought you could take all this stuff you treasure here, there. You are mistaken. Where is your treasure? Is it in your position and status in the kingdom or what you've gained here and own here? This is what these two verses are talking about. That anyone who's rich in this world's eyes should not celebrate what they have here, but they should cherish spiritual humility. Their true treasure should be I'm rich in faith, in hope, and in love. That I love well according to what God has given me the ability to do. No matter what your status, this is God's economy. How well do you love others? Are you poor according to God's standards or wealthy in loving others? In other words, do you see them as less than, greater than, equal to, undeserving, deserving? Do you cast judgment? Where do you stand in terms of God's economy of love? You see, the richness of this world... That's all going to fade away. I promise you, one day, that this will happen. They're attending to Russell right now. And uh, we lift him up to Jesus right now in the name of our Heavenly Father. And as it is, his sugar level be regulated right now, and he be restored. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for having a capable person in our midst to not be unable, but rather able to bring forth strength and restoration and wisdom. And we thank you for that. We know in any given moment that life is precious. And I believe God just put an exclamation point on what I just said. That what this world offers is not guaranteed tomorrow. What we have in this world ends, but love endures forever. Faith, hope, and love, these endure. The greatest is love because it's God's economy. And as they love on Russell, we love His Word, God's Word, and we love to hear that His promise is true even in this moment. He gives us an imagery. It's about how the hot sun will wither a flower or grass and it will fade away. And He says that's the same way with earthly wealth. And so that is truly, if your treasure will fade away one day, 
Your treasure is not worth keeping. It's not worth putting above the kingdom. I thank You, Heavenly Father, that You are faithful to us. I want to share with you that the transformation from the understanding of law and rules and right and wrong is a transformation that sometimes takes time in your mind. Because you'll read something in Scripture and you'll say, that's not what that really says, and you'll put your own spin on it. But I promise you, your eyes have been trained to read Bible the way it's been written, and you understand it differently than what may have been intended. I'm helping you this morning to see that God's design is in every bit of Scripture. I share this with you because if you don't get this, you're going to miss out on what comes next. Folks have gotten this so messed up. And what happened in this section and what happened in this area of temptation and trial is people got those two words juxtaposed. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going through a temptation... And, and, and a trial, and they think they're synonymous, and they are not synonymous words. A trial is something external. It's what you go through in this world. A temptation is what's inside of you. Amen. The world can throw it out there and be all around you, but until it becomes a part of inside of you, you're not tempted. Right? Now, now let me share with you. Scripture is very clear. God does not tempt you. But God will give you trials and allow you to go through trials that will test you. Maybe you've heard that verse and you've quoted it out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And maybe you've used this in situations with folks and you used it as the word trial or temptation. And you kind of weren't sure which was which. This morning I'll share with you the verse. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common demand. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. A lot of people say, Well, this trial you're going through, God's going to make a way out of it. I want to tell you something. It says temptation. It is not a trial. You may not make it through a trial in this earth. It may take you out. It may. There have been people who've been through tragedies and there was not a way of escape. Do you understand what I'm saying? A trial is a situation in life that may destroy and ruin, hurricane. Those things are simple examples. They're external things. The temptation... This is what you need to know. The temptation is when you get drawn away by whether it's inside of you or something outside of you that you're drawn away by that you have a struggle with. And as you have a struggle with that, when you begin to deal with that struggle, God promises a way out of the temptation. You go, wait a minute. So what you're saying is God may not provide me a way out of a sickness or a financial problem, 
The answer is He might not. But the temptation is to believe God isn't faithful. Or that God is unable. Or that He doesn't care. And that is the temptation. And God says the temptation is to believe that God isn't going to do it and therefore it's your fault. But God has provided a way out of that temptation and it's to learn God's economy of love. Let me go back to James. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Verse 12. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. That's verse 12. That, if you want to memorize a verse this week, memorize that one. It's basically saying, whoever steadfastly continues in God's plan and God's design of this world in their life despite trials, difficulties, discomfort, as promised by God to those who love and trust Him, they will receive eternity. That God is faithful. There are situations in our life that are going to come up that will help us, if you will, question our faith. Question God's reliability. Question whether or not we are safe. These are trials and struggles. But once we internalize them and say it's because of this. Hear me. Because of this. And whatever that this is for you, it's because I don't know God, I don't have enough faith, whatever you say, you're now basing it on you rather than God's faithfulness. God is faithful 100%. He knows what He's doing. He is true and loyal and will always keep to His promises. God said, I've designed this for you. If you will walk in My way, you will reach the end I have for you. But the temptation, as was true for them, is true for us, is to think, well, maybe God is not going to do anything. And begin to take matters into our own thought, our own hand, our own plan, and try to work it out our own way. Have you ever done that? Now, here's, what, here's how it looks. It looks pious. It looks like we're being holy. You know, God has put me in this situation where I'm having some problems, so it's okay if I kind of do this thing over here to, to make this thing work, even though it's probably not something God wants me to do. But, but I don't have any other way, and if I don't, then God's not going to work it. And we begin to reason and rationalize why we don't have to be obedient. Why we don't have to love. Why we don't have to seek out the comfort of others or the church. Hmm. Oh, really? Did I just say that? Do you mean we actually need to seek out the comfort of others and the church? What do you think the church is there for? Is it to sit on a pew? Or is the church there because it's a body of believers learning to love one another with the love of Christ and to help one another through this journey called God's life? Isn't that what we're all about? Learning to be the body of Christ together in love. Lifting each other up in love. 
And so, whenever something happens, no matter what it is, do not say, I am tempted by God. The tempting is the internal stuff. God is doing this because, you know, He's tempting me. No, He is not. God will let you have a trial in your life to test your faith, but He's not going to tempt you with it. That is on you. I mean, on you as in, that's your responsibility. Because God is not tempting you to think that God won't help you. God is not tempting you to think that you're a bad person or that you don't deserve grace or you're unworthy or God doesn't care or He's mad at you. That's not from God. The one who's tempting you is the enemy and sometimes the enemy comes in and deceives you to thinking, well, this is God doing this. But do not say, James says, do not say I am tempted by God for God will never, ever tempt you to do evil. God will always encourage you to follow Him because there's no difference in God one day to the next. He's always light. There's no darkness in God. He is love. He's not going to tempt you to be unloving. He's not going to tempt you to do something against His Word. He's not going to tempt you to do something like that because God is always going the same direction in who He is. We'll see in a couple verses down, there is no shadow or even a hint that God's going to ask you to go a different direction because He doesn't. When you have struggles in your life, God is letting you have struggles, but the temptation that you have, what it says here, James says, when you're tempted, they're drawn away by their own desires and enticed. I love this, and I love who James is speaking to because he's talking to the workaday people of that time. And a lot of them understood fishing. I was going to bring a fishing pole in here, but I thought, you know, probably be not a real good illustration. So I'll just explain it. When you cast your line into the water, you don't just sit it there. You kind of move it up and down like this. So it looks like it's alive. Especially if it's an artificial lure. Make it look real. They sell stuff to make it look more and more real. So that action is to entice the fish to want what's in front of it. This is the illustration that James is using. The enemy is going to stick something in front of you to entice you. And you can't say, well, God's tempting me to do wrong. No, the enemy is. And enticement is when you say, yeah, it looks good, looks real. So I'm going to bite. And that's what happens when you're enticed. And it says we're enticed by our own desires. (laughs) The enemy knows what to play on inside of you because most of us have the same desires to to live, to be healthy, to be comfortable. We are enticed by our own fear-based, self-centered feelings and desires. We are enticed by things we think we need. Things we have to have. And we logically tell each other, yes, you must. I'm going to share something with you. I've heard so many people in bad marriages say, I'm not happy, therefore I want out. I've heard people say that. I'm not happy, I want out. Nowhere 
did their vows say, we're going to be completely happy? It says, for better or for worse, I'm with you. I'm sticking to you. But we, we go, I'm enticed by this world telling me if I'm not happy, I don't have to put up with it. The world said that. No, it doesn't say that. It's not in you look. Show me. You show me your justifications in here. That sermon justifiability a few weeks ago got me thinking right. Okay? And you need to go listen to it if you didn't hear it yet. Even if you were here. But I'm sharing with you this. It's our own desire. I want to be happy. But I'm not. So if I do this and get rid of this, then I'll be happy. If you're not happy in Jesus, you won't be happy outside of Jesus. Because your happiness is Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that relationship secure, nothing will make you happy. Everything will make you miserable. But if you are happy in Jesus Christ, nothing can take it away. Amen. Your temptation is to believe that everything around you is causing your problems. It's your relationship with God that causes your problems if it isn't right. Wrong thinking. Wrong mindset. Wrong understanding of the world that God has set up and His plan for your life is going to make you have problems. God is not doing that. He set it in the right direction and said, this is the way. Walk and follow Me. Oh, but you know, it looks so good and it makes sense and everybody else says it's a good idea and I need to do this. And, and we convince ourselves. So when that desire has conceived into the action, it gives birth to the sin. It's okay to listen to that stuff, but acting on it and believing it contrary to God creates sin. And sin, in and of itself, creates more sin and it brings forth death. But we go, but, but shouldn't everybody be happy? The answer to that is, was Jesus happy and comfortable on the cross? Did it make Him happy to have the nails driven in His wrists? Should he have just quit because it was uncomfortable? Are the things in your life you're going through, you're going, man, it's too tough, God, and I just want to give up. I want to stop. That is the temptation. But that temptation is not from God. God never said quit. He said in the first part of this, endure the trial, because otherwise you'll fall into the temptation it creates inside you. Have you trials and temptations? Is there sorrow anywhere? My friend, do not be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. We sing that. We're going to sing it in just a moment. But how is it that we've missed this divine truth? How did we miss this? I'll tell you how. Because we put such a value in this world, in this life, rather than in God's world and in the life in Jesus Christ. And nobody can show us this but Jesus and people who love Him. Nobody. Because they don't know it. They're rule-based. Let me give you a true story. and I'm not bragging because it's not a bragging thing. As a matter of fact, it's a bad thing. But I'm going to tell you anyway. My right foot is heavier than my left foot. Did you know that? Yep. If it, It's true. It's the one that sits on the accelerator. 
It's heavier than the left foot. The other one just kind of relaxing. The other one, oh, it's kind of heavy. I got to push down. You know, you know, it's just tired or whatever. But my right foot is heavier than my left foot. So one day, not long ago, I realized I was in a hurry. I was anxious. I was driving the school bus. There was nobody around, and I'm going through Information Age Park. And I look down. And I'm going. I'm going too fast. Every bus driver does, but I was doing it. Oh wow. Because I'm anxious and I don't want to be late to the high school to pick up those kids, I'm going too fast. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew it. Uh, I knew it. God knew it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I need to know if, if this is bad or not. Mm-hmm. Right? You get this? this <laughs> I want to ask for grace rather than, rather than permission type thing. So, so I call up my supervisor, who's above my immediate supervisor, and say, I need to talk to you about some stuff I'm doing on the bus. I want to see if it's okay. <laughs> Why not, right? Go to the source and tell on myself. So I'm not bragging that I told on myself. I'm just telling you I drive too fast on the bus, so, and that's not good. So, so I went in, and I told her, I said, listen, I've been doing some stuff. I ran a couple stop signs the other day. I was rolling. I didn't complete stop, and... Um, and I, uh, and I was driving a little too fast. And Information Age Park, I, I was doing this speed. And she looks at me and goes, you know, I have other drivers who drive too fast. And I used to be a bus driver. I was in your shoes. Now, listen to me. Economy, right and wrong, says, your speed, there's something wrong with you. you got to fix that. Room to judge. Right? Right and wrong. No grace. Here's what she said. She said, sometimes when you do that, it's okay. I mean, if there's nobody coming, you're still safe, aren't you? You're you're making sure everybody's okay, right? And I said, absolutely. So you're not just rolling a stop sign into traffic. You're only rolling it when it's safe to do so. And I said, well, absolutely. And she goes, I don't have a problem with that. Black and white things is wrong. What's wrong is wrong. And you've got to judge it. But grace says, give them room to breathe. Give them room to grow. Give them room to love and be loved. And in that moment, you know what my supervisor did for me? The exact same thing God does for us. And says, it is about love and grace and doing things that make more sense, which is the safety of of the children and you do those things and the love of those children is bigger than a one mile an hour roll of a stop sign or two or whatever and that's not the main concern is whether someone's right or wrong it's whether they're being loved and kept safe mm-hmm. that makes sense? Mm-hmm. I told you I wasn't bragging on myself telling you how stupid I was but grace came that's God's economy and so many of us are trying to measure things by the world's standards that we miss that. And James says, you've got trials and temptations. You're going to have trials. The temptations fall to you when you start going black and white. And saying, I've got to do this because if anything else says this. I'm going to tell you. It's not true. The truth is what Jesus said it is. Love one another as I have loved you. And you will fulfill all that God has asked. And that includes loving yourself 
your enemy, your neighbor, and the president. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, sometimes, uh, sometimes we say things and uh, we don't know where they come from. But today I'm asking you to change the things we say to come from your heart, from your love, your life, and who you are. And sometimes, Heavenly Father, I, uh, I don't always walk in the, the, the black and white of the law. And, and I'm learning that there's a grace there that you transform. Because grace is greater than all our sin. And Heavenly Father... May we not see it anymore as a sin or not sin, but rather are we under grace that you may determine that we need more grace because more sin abound. Help us not to drag ourselves into that mess. Help us to walk away from the temptation to turn our eyes, our head, our mind back to you and say, God, I'm not listening to anything but the way you say it. Help me love. Amen.